0: Hello there. Thank you for stopping by on Do Us Within Us podcast. My name is Jacob Fortun, I'm the founder and host, and I really want to thank you for being here. In this podcast, we talk about just amazing stories of diverse and minority founders and investors who are making a difference in their communities, building amazing companies, or came up with a very amazing idea that is just creating a ripple effect across their communities. So I want to invite you to join this movement uh, and those within us podcast to hear these amazing stories and we're looking forward to see you every Wednesday at 9am Eastern time so as part of the continuation of our ventures profit series I'm excited to have with me in today's episode Mark and Cindy from Dream VC so Dream VC is an investor accelerator focused on catalyzing the next generation of African investors in ecosystem building and venture capital. They have two amazing programs uh, that they currently run right now with many other things that are involving. But these two programs is launched into VC as well as the investor accelerator. We're going to talk a lot about that in this episode and many other important parts and facets of investing on the African continent or being an investor yourself. So please stay tuned. So hello everyone. My name is Jacob Cotton. Thank you again for joining us for this amazing series, the VHS Profit Series. And this series part of Do Us Within Us is pretty much to bring together entrepreneurs and investors within and outside of the Waterfall ecosystem leading to potentially launching our VHS Profit Fund uh, within Waterfall. So Waterfall will provide you know, clean water to over 1.4 million people across Africa, from Ghana to Sierra Leone to Zambia and Uganda. And many more. And so, our first guest was Matt Hagan, who was a CEO and president of Waterfall, uh, just to talk about the VHS Profits Fund. But more importantly, uh, the goal of this series uh, within to us, Within Us is to help build kind of a collaboration, but also listen to people that are doing some amazing work in Africa, at any VC space or just you know, building amazing companies. So, um, but just to begin with, I'm the host. Uh, I'm the founder of the podcast, but I'm really excited for our amazing guests today. Uh, we have Cindy and Mark, who are the founders of Dream VC, And I'm really excited for this episode because I think there's so much I can learn from them, but also more importantly, what you guys can learn from them as well. So uh, without, further ado, you all love to just hand over the mic to Cindy. Just talking briefly about you, so Cindy.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, first off, thanks for having us here, Jacob. Uh, really, really excited to come and just talk a little bit more about what we do. And I am generally podcast shy. <laughs> so <laughs> for those of you hearing um, this, I'm generally not someone who jumps on a lot of podcasts. But I do like you know, being able to share what I love to do and more about that. Yeah, a little bit about myself. I'm Chinese American. I grew up in north central Florida, specifically Gainesville. For those of you that are familiar with universities in the U.S., it's a home to University of Florida. So very much a typical college town, very much of a melting pot. I had a lot of friends that were African diaspora growing up, uh, specifically West African diaspora. And so I think that was a very big Uh, I guess, experiential thing for me in terms of being able to understand and interact with a lot of people from different cultures. Before I went into the VC world, um, I should be clear that I had no idea what VC was (laughs) up until I think maybe college. I didn't come from a background where anyone in my family was in finance or anywhere related to startups or tech. Uh, We are very much, you know, first generation immigrants coming, working those kind of classic first-generation kinds of jobs. And so, yeah, when I first came into VC, it was when I was working in the corporate world. I did a brief stint in consulting um, where we also worked a lot with tech startups. And that was when I first got exposed to this world that was known as venture capital. And they seemed like these mythical guys to me that were handing out huge amounts of cash to these fast-growing companies. And it was something that you know really drew me to that. And so I think I can speak for a lot of people out there that came into VC from an untraditional background. And obviously as this podcast goes on, we can speak more deeply into, you know, what we do and everything else, but within the VC world, I worked for a man who ran seven different global venture capital firms across the world, which was a really great experience for me because I got to learn VC in all different verticals, all different kinds of fund sizes. And yeah, now I'm the co-founder of DreamVC, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, and yeah, I'm really happy to have this opportunity to speak to everyone.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much, Cindy. What about you, Mark? Well, I mean, it's always
2: difficult to follow an introduction <laughs> like that. Now <laughs> that was I feel so really good. underwhelmed. <laughs> that was so good.
0: <laughs>
2: that was but so yes, good. Uh, what can I say? Well, perhaps unlike Cindy, and maybe <laughs> what I should start with is I'm definitely a big city kid at heart. Maybe not a kid anymore, but I've always lived, thrived, and been there for that major metropolitan fact. So I'm actually Russian-British. I grew up in Moscow in the Russian Federation, and then I emigrated over with my family over to the UK, to London, going on to then spend some time working across several big cities all over the world. New York, Lagos, Singapore, you name it, but it's always been that big city vibe for me. And I think it's just that hustle and bustle, The feeling that you got to get somewhere, do something, accomplish something, that's always been an overriding factor, perhaps underpinned by the fact that I'm just really curious and I love to live life, you know, while I'm still here. Now, um, what can I say? Uh, Where did I grow up? Well, again, I grew up between Russia and UK, but I think I've definitely become a lot more internationalized. I think there aren't that many Russians that get to travel around the world, and I was somewhat fortunate that my family was very much westernized. They worked at a Western firm. Both of my parents worked at Western multinational firms. And this kind of gave me a, a bit of an idea of the world beyond the country's borders. The country itself is still very much a bit closed off, even more so now than ever before. But I got to travel a bit as a kid. And this really opened my eyes to what was happening all around the world. And this made me always super, super excited about working in different places. And maybe that's been one of the contributing influences why. Even up to now, I've lived and worked in about 25, 26 different countries. Now, With that being said, uh, I think my experience before VC, perhaps traditional to some, perhaps a bit unusual to others. There's no um, family office background here or no easy way into it. Really, for me, the career started in management consulting, as it seems it does for many people today. I moved straight from college into a job and then... From management consulting got a bit of entrepreneurial experience as well briefly working with a tech consultancy where i was one of the founding members before exiting that and working through several consumer-driven startups you can tell already you know consumption and consumer techs really being at the core of all of this but worked at several consumer tech startups food tech fintech logistics a few other industries and then fell into vc almost by accident because i thrived in that adrenaline rush of growth and focusing on startups that really, really focused on growth at all costs, which eventually put me on parallel tracks to venture building, the VC world and all that. And that transition didn't end up being as much of a jarring one for me as it might have been for other people. But very much breaking into VC, it was just me deciding at one point, hey, I really, really want this opportunity. I'm going to look for anything and anything around me that can give me a potential leg up and then just firing through tons and tons of applications, tons and tons of cold outreach until I found that opportunity and used my experience in the startup space to help me kind of drive a wedge and open the door for me. And since then, it's just been one opportunity onto the other before VC has really kind of solidified things into something of my own.
0: That's amazing. I think, um, just to add on to that, Mark, uh, why why Africa as a place for the drip VC?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a story that can be a podcast (laughs) recording in its own right. I think on both my end and on Cindy's end, there's a bit different reasons for why we're based in Africa, why we're focused on Africa, why we're doing what we're doing. I think on my end, at least, I can speak to this, that for me, it was two really big things. One, it was that feeling of almost a home away from home. I've mentioned I've lived and worked in different places all over the world, and that's partially because I've never felt at home almost anywhere since moving as a kid. I've always been moving around, always working in different places. But when I came, I got a, a bit of experience of working on the continent. I thought, wow, the problems are all the same. Mm-hmm. Yes, the food's different, better in my opinion. Yes, the culture is a bit more jovial and lively than it is in Eastern Europe. But at the same time, the problems, the infrastructural problems, the societal problems where we have mass brain drain, where there's infrastructural deficits, where there's a lot of potential, but there's so many barriers to, that are limiting that potential. That's all the same. And I've never felt that, that similarity as strongly as when I started working in Africa. And that's been a consistent, passionate factor that keeps pushing me because it feels almost like I'm contributing to people I really empathize with and I can relate to. I almost see myself in many of the people we teach. I see myself in many of the entrepreneurs we help build their firms. I see myself in many of the investors whose careers we've launched. So that that's been a really big influence. I think the, the second thing is I got a bit of experience of this directly firsthand. So mm-hmm. I mentioned how I jumped between startups and VCs. And in that process, I got a very first-hand look at how some venture builders had operated on the continent, specifically with the building of Jumea and the West African startup space. And to me, that was really eye-opening. I thought, wow, you have a market where almost none of the factors would suggest that a amazing startup would be born. But despite this, the collective effort of a ton of really talented individuals working together to build something out can create an innovation giant, right? And to me, the fact that this was possible, something that I thought was impossible today in Russia or Ukraine, but which is possible in markets that are arguably much more difficult to do business in like Nigeria, it really gave me that factor that this is where I want to be for the next five, 10, or hopefully, you know, indefinitely years and building and working in such amazing environments.
0: That's that's incredible. I always tell people, I mean, beyond the VC space and doing some very serious work that has impact on people. I think, Cindy, I'd love to hear a little bit on your take on this uh, before we go to the next section. I think Africa is just. I mean, I grew up there, but Africa is just. It's just. It's just fun <laughs> when you're when you're on the continent. Uh, you know, those of the. You know. The vibe, uh, how the people interact with one another. It's just a very, I think personally, it's just a very lively place uh, to, to work in and also to live in. And as you said, uh, Mark, there's just the, uh, when you meet a group of talented people, very diverse, uh, that come together to build something great, it goes a really long way, right? And you can see, you can see the progress or the impact rather, sometimes in real time. So, I get really excited when I meet people like you, Cindy and Mark, who have committed, you know, the rest of their life, I guess, to build a continent. And, and it's it's really, it's really humbling, but it's also very, um, I feel very, you know, just excited to see that you guys are bringing your talents um, and also, you know, you know, working with people to make a difference. I think Cindy, so I think you grew up in Florida and I'm, I'm curious, is the weather similar to the weather? <laughs> Nigeria is the food. Uh I know you said you had some friends, Africans in diaspora. Uh, yeah. Just can you just give a little bit of if you saw some similarities? And I know you guys have traveled if you go gone like you guys have been almost everywhere. I think it's Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya. So did you see a lot of similarities with that and did you feel at home as you know, as maybe somehow Mark alluded to, right? Is that something that you 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 experienced?
1: Uh, I think first off, weather, we definitely get as much sun and as much rain (laughs) and (laughs) as much craziness um, as you would get in West Africa. So I think weather-wise, I deal with the warm weather uh, much more so, um, better than Mark. And I think second... I mean, it's very difficult to weigh in, but I think food is definitely, you can't really beat, you know, jollof rice (laughs) and suya (laughs) and a lot of these amazing things. We won't get into the jollof rice debate because I'm sure there's people that hold very strong opinions about that. Uh, But yeah, Mark and I think specifically, even when we first got started working on the continent, we worked most directly with the West African Corridor, um, Mm -hmm. specifically Nigeria, a lot of my friends growing up were Ghanaian Nigerian diaspora. But I think because of that, we are most familiar with the Nigerian tenacity and the spirit and the culture. So they will always have a soft spot, you know, in our hearts in terms of startups that we work with and people that we know, and some of our closest friends and colleagues are still in Nigeria. We'll talk about this later in Dream BC, but I think our fellow group is what would you say, Mark? Fifty percent, sixty percent Nigerians?
0: Uh that's too
2: right. oh, <laughs> no, much. At
0: least fifty percent. over index. Come on, uh, but yes, Cindy, you're right. I think yeah, Nigerians have that. Um, they have that, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, exemplary entrepreneurial, uh, you know, the spirit. So it does make sense. It does make sense. But yes, if we get into the Ghanaian versus Nigerian Jalof, it's going to cause problems. People might unsubscribe to this podcast. So, uh, we're just going to, going to keep it out of the conversation. So yeah, just, I uh, think you can just go ahead. I, I think if it's for, uh, I might please open to you. If can you can just talk a little bit about, uh, what Dream VC is about. By the way, that's a great name, uh, Dream VC. Can you, someone can just, uh, give us a sneak peek of, of what Dream VC is and, Just briefly about the work you guys are doing at GMBC.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, Mark, maybe you can speak after I go on how we came up with the name. It's a bit of a... Funny story, actually. Uh, so thank you, actually, for <laughs> complimenting the name. So Dream VC, I think, very first point I want to make, which is a big disclaimer, is for those that are not familiar with what we do, we are not a venture capital firm, <laughs> we are not a fund, we don't invest in startups. I think a lot of people ask us that, like, why are you called Dream VC if you're not a VC? But the main reason is that we do operate in the venture capital space. So DreamVC is essentially what we call a quote-unquote investor accelerator. So we train aspiring investors. Um, and we train them specifically on the nuances of how it's like to invest across all the 50 different ecosystems on the African continent. Because the way that startups grow the way that investors have to support those startups and the way that you have to deal with a lot of different social, political, infrastructural issues and everything else is going to be very, very different from the way that you're taught how to be an investor and how you might operate as an investor in most other parts of the world. And it's super, super exciting because the African continent is the last ecosystem to really discover venture capital. So there are a lot of ways you can shape The negative aspects of VC and the ways that certain problems have really grounded into the venture ecosystem elsewhere. And there's also a lot of ways that you can really create new dynamic forms of VC, quote unquote. Because one of the ongoing debates that a lot of people also talk about is obviously whether venture capital as an industry and as an investment form is actually the best form of investment for the way that startups grow across the continent. Exactly. Um, but I'll quickly pause here and we'll talk a little bit more about like how exactly DreamVC is run. But Mark, maybe you could quickly speak on <laughs> how we came up with the name.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Cindy's being too kind, but definitely Cindy's brain's there working on the imaginative friend of myself, I think, with the name. So I really think for us, when we were setting up DreamVC, the naming was quite important because we were quite conscious of how the brand value of education, of teaching anybody anything, is very closely associated with the brand value of the name or the naming convention. Yep. And we had, we had ideated mm. hundreds of different names of what we can call the idea of uh, VC, mm. Dreaming of a new world, we were thinking along the ideas of perhaps something that was somehow inspired by moving from you know, point A to point B, where point B would be a better reality where VC was accessible, where VC wasn't opaque, where it was possible to understand where you're going. And then we come up with a couple of different ideas. I recall I even had put down three or four of them, which were really, really long. And then we were sitting down through these and I think if I recall correctly, I mean, correct me on this if I'm wrong, Cindy, but we're looking at them and then Cindy just said like, why don't we just cut away like most of this and just say, dream VC. Because for most people, when they think about working in the venture capital space, it's not a tangible reality. Unfortunately, the space is very, very opaque, yes. very difficult to break into the space. And statistically, you know, less than 1% of people, even in the tech space, that are going to end up in right now, I think then. So for many people, it's a dream. Yes. They want to dream of breaking into the VC space and they dream of that idea. And we thought, well, we are bridging that dream. Because we work with people who are these dreamers, these African dreamers, people who want to invest to build something on the continent, and we're getting them towards or building that connection between them and their careers and their unique insights and the VC space. Yeah. And so that whole concept of dreaming of VC kind of became my identity. And yeah. helping people to realize that dream as that bridge is also one of the reasons why you know it's dream space VC, you not know, just dream VC in one way. So I think that's kind of the uniqueness of the name, but... I guess, indeed, let me know if I missed anything.
0: <laughs> actually, uh, we're currently uh, building a VC fund. And to speak the truth, like literally just learning about just the process, you know, uh, it literally is a, like what I knew and what I'm actually doing now. I had no idea what I have to do. Like, who do I talk to? How do I set it up? And it was just very opaque, right, Mark? And once you get into the nuances of it, it's just um, it's just like a different universe. What the hell is uh So I think that dream VC, like genuinely, I think it really fits the need. Like it's the core, the quintessential value of how we need to have that conversation, especially for people who don't know about VC. So, I mean, Cindy, I think you can do a second career on branding because that's really good um, in terms of actually addressing this problem. I think one thing about the VC, I think uh, that was, I, I also found very impactful was, and Cindy, I think you mentioned this about like the vehicle of investment in Africa. I think VC fund has always, might have seemed to be kind of the traditional wealth uh, investing entrepreneurs. Uh, and maybe you can elaborate on that on Mark as well. It's this, this like more of like the accelerator, investor accelerator, one of the reasons why it didn't just go directly to the VC fund. Was it part of the reason or was this something of like, I know you have talked about it, but why the investor accelerator rather than just a traditional VC? Was it influenced by just the fact that you guys thought of, you know, traditional VC funding might not be the only solution? Was that part of it?
1: I mean, I think for us, we saw that there was far more impact that could be done in how we fit into ecosystem at the moment, right? Because I think anyone who is actually work directly on the ground across the ecosystems will know that capital is not just the only pressing need (laughs) that is in the ecosystem, even though it is one of the most fundamental needs and a lot of the startups don't get the capital that they really, in my opinion, deserve to grow. I think there are still a lot of gaps in the ecosystem, specifically in people that are local on the ground or those are willing to roll up their sleeves and actually get involved. Um, I actually think, Mark, perhaps you can dive a little bit deeper into this, like why we chose to take this approach rather than just launching a big fund of funds or a fund and just (laughs) (laughs) writing big checks everywhere. But maybe you could take a stab at this a little bit more.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think from where I said, I think you know, Africa is a continent of more than 54 different ecosystems, but pretty much all of these startup ecosystems are either in some ways broken or at least suffer from infrastructure deficit. You can define that in many different ways, right? There's policy infrastructure deficit, community infrastructure deficit, and just a lack of so-called common knowledge or accessible knowledge about the relevant learnings and insights on building and investing in these markets that really hinder startup growth and inhibit, in our opinion, Africa's potential. Yep. As Cindy mentioned, when we initially started VC, we definitely didn't set out to make this into a huge international endeavor. Might have changed since then. But, you know, the reason VC came about as an investor accelerator as opposed to a fund was that realization of a very, very acute need for people to build that bridge between the existing VC world, the existing VC space, both domestically on the continent and off-continent and the much, much wider pool of people who wanted to somehow contribute to the world, who wanted to help startups build more effectively, who wanted to help investors invest more effectively, et cetera. By realizing that gap that you know, there's a lot of really talented individuals that didn't know about VC together or had no way of breaking into the space, and at the same time, African-focused funds struggle with talent, there was a key niche that we saw. And we wanted to say, look, this is a niche we recognize, We are somewhat privileged in being one of the first people on the continent to try and tackle this niche head on. And to some extent, we are very well positioned to do that, having worked both on the continent and off the continent and leveraging both our connections and our unique position to go and set up something that helps other individuals who we empathize with and who we want to have an easier path to really materialize and break into
0: the VC world. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think the research was well done. I think this is a really very, very important problem. And I think as we go into the next section, I'm really excited to see, to kind of get your responses on just how this has influenced investing in in Africa. So can you guys just talk briefly about what the Dream VC Fellowship is about?
1: I can take a stab at this. So at DreamVC we run annual cohorts everything is entirely remote generally our programs run during the summer so it'll be anywhere between June to September/October depending on which program you're part of we run two different programs which I'll dive into a little bit more later but the idea behind the fellowship is that one of the biggest challenges I think for a lot of people moving into the VC space One is obviously the opaqueness of information and knowledge and network, but network is the most important thing, I think, especially in an industry that is driven by people and connections. And for Mark and myself, we remembered how difficult it was to build up a network and build up a social currency. And it feels like you're knocking on countless doors and two of them opens. So our main idea in the actual fellowship itself is aside from just people learning fundamentals like what is an investment memo? How do you conduct due diligence? How do you source startups? It's also really having a community building approach and making people actually foster connections with each other. Because there are a lot of people that are stuck in what we call ecosystem silos. So you're in Nigeria, you interact with just Nigerian startups. In some cases, maybe you're only interacting with just Lagos-based startups, right? But there could be a lot of valuable lessons and connections you can learn and build with people in Kenya, with people in South Africa, with people in Morocco. And our idea with our fellowship is that every year we have a smaller cohort, quote-unquote, compared to maybe how... A cohort might be like for people going to university where there's hundreds of people, thousands of people. You might only have a couple dozen classmates and you get to know them very, very well, build relationships with each other. And now you can say, if I'm flying to Namibia, I know John. If I'm flying to Cape Town, I know someone there. And it's just a social currency that will always ever grow because alumni are connected to current programs, participants and more. Um, But yeah, just quickly on sort of what our fellowship programs are. We have two main programs. One is called Launch Into VC. The other is called Investor Accelerator. They run concurrently, so it's not possible for someone to be like superhuman and be in two (laughs) programs at once. Also, because both of the programs have very different structures and focuses. Mm -hmm. So Launch Into VC is much more skills-based, less knowledge-based. It's generally three to four months. It's like an intense boot camp. So for people that are familiar with startup accelerators, this is the closest thing you are building fundamentals and practicing real-life skills you would use within venture capital every single week, every single day. Um, and Launch Into VC is generally on the younger end of the experience spectrum. So most of the people here have one to five years of full-time work experience. They come from all different types of backgrounds, all different countries. But the idea here is that upon graduating from the Launch Into VC program, you can work full-time As an analyst and beyond in a venture capital firm, no problem without needing that training. And most VC firms don't have that time to handhold you and train you, unlike a corporate, for example. Investor Accelerator, which is our namesake, I guess, Accelerator, uh, much more experienced under the spectrum. So you'll see guys with like 20 years in, you know, pension funds. You'll see people with 10, 15 years, you know, C-suite level. These are people that are coming in for an executive learning experience paying for knowledge, paying for networks. And they are here to really learn what it takes to launch something. Because from our experience working with emerging fund managers and people specifically trying to launch funds, launch syndicates on the continent, you need to have a certain amount of skin in the game that you can put in to even start something. And generally, people from this later program are more likely to be successful in successfully launching a syndicate, launching a fund, et cetera. And so this is generally how we split the two programs. There could be some overlap, but generally we see that there is a pretty big, I guess, experiential gap between these two. But there are bridges built between the programs. So it's not like if you're launching to VC, you don't have any interaction with people from the other program because it's still the experience of the community altogether. And I should mention that Investor Accelerator is a little bit longer. Yes. They're both remote, but Investor Accelerator is five to six months. So for example, you would go and start in June and you would wrap up the program in, let's say, late October compared to Launch into VC where you might be done by August slash September. Mark, I don't know if you wanted to add anything in case I missed anything there.
2: No, I think that's a pretty good summary. I guess the whole thing is that both of these programs are essentially the GMVC VC Fellowship, right? The fellowship is really the community that comes together from these individuals who take part in the community, come into the community as individuals, but then stay in the community as a united whole. That's amazing. Yes. That,
1: that's and we, we're we very proud of our group of people. We always like to brag about our fellows. We're like that parent that can't shut up about their kid. <laughs> um, but we have fellows from 20 plus different African countries. So it's something that we are very, very proud of in terms of reach. A lot of our past fellows have gone on to join, you know, really awesome funds like we Capital and Agene Capital. And some of the fellows have even started the very first angel syndicates in their respective places. For example, one of our fellows started one of the first syndicates in Cote d'Ivoire. And so it's just something where for us, we're, we don't credit ourselves for their success, right? Because a lot of what they go on to do is very much, you know, their own strength. But we do love that we were like able to be part of their journey.
0: That's beautiful. That's so incredible. How do people apply? I'm sure we're going to talk about it at the very end, but where can we find these applications from? Do you go on the website, dream.vc, and apply on the website? Or what's also the time? When do you guys start the application process?
1: Yes, my favorite question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mostly because I'm always excited to meet new people um, that would be, you know, part of this journey with us. So our website is dream-vc.com. So it's literally dream and then there's like a little hyphen bridge in vc.com. If you go on the website and the very first landing page, you'll see multiple different buttons and one of them is register for future programs. If you click on this, there'll be an interest form This is just an expression of interest for the program. This is not a formal application, but basically if you fill out this interest form, we will notify everyone that has filled this out first of any updates and when applications go live. Officially, I can say that our applications will go live in mid-March. So if you have been anxiously waiting for the last year for our applications to open, this is a good time to keep your eyes really peeled we plan to have a number of different events surrounding the application and the application going live. So if you want to find out more about how the applications work, once the applications go live in mid-March, we'll have a number of info sessions. We'll also, really exciting update this year, we'll also be hosting a number of in-person networking mixers in multiple different strategic cities where we have fellows. So you can go and speak to fellows i have gone through the program. Don't just take our word for it. Obviously, we're always going to say our programs are amazing, but I'm sure for a lot of you, if you really want to get to know the actual trenches of how it's like, you should speak to people that have gone through it. So most of the big strategic cities you guys can think of will be on that list. So Lagos is on that list. Nairobi is on that list. There's a couple other sort of emerging ecosystems are also on that list, but just keep that in mind. And yeah, if you're interested in the interest form specifically, just go on our website. Again, dream-vc.com. Um, click on it, and yeah, we're excited to get it all
0: rolling. That's that's incredible, Cindy. I'm excited. I, I actually wanna. I might apply. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I'd be <laughs> about happy to have it. That was a very good pitch. My God, that was good. And so it sounds like I'm I, mean, I want to add. It sounds like that's like one of the big plans for 2023, right? To do both the investor accelerator program as well as the uh, start to the launch into VC. But is there anything you want to add to that for 2023? Uh, the in-person meet, which I'll, you know, it sounds really exciting. That was a question I wanted to ask earlier. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> well, I mean, there's
2: a lot happening, Jacob. I think you're kind of alluding <laughs> to that, and uh, yep. um, it would be a miss for us to try and summarize everything in just a short conversation. <laughs> no, there's that. a lot of people can find out, of course, at mm-hmm. you know our website and our social media and whatnot. But to give you guys a bit of a teaser or a brief kind of trailer of what's to come. Obviously, at VC, we are constantly thinking on how to improve our program. We don't subscribe to the attitude that, you know, you can run something once and it's set in stone and that's going to be good forever. Yep. To that end, we're likely to see the best ever program we've run in the year to come. We're going to update our curriculum. We're going to broaden our speaker base. And we're going to have a more interesting fellow pool than ever. Yep. Beyond successfully delivering the programs themselves, this summer and autumn period, we also have some broader ambitious goals in mind as well. We obviously want to build a much larger investor base on the ground and globally. That's quite familiar with the adequate nuances of investing in African markets. Yeah. We want to establish a much stronger, close-knit community of these future investors and emerging investors in Dream receive and foster more collaborations between fellows. We've already seen that happening, fellow-launched initiatives, cross-fellow investments and whatnot. But we want to really bridge traditionally siloed ecosystems, bridging those connections all across the continent. And we really want to reach more investors in markets we haven't seen many applicants from before. Mm I think Cindy alluded to this point that Nigeria really beats above its eyes in most conversations in the startup and investment space. And we'd love to see many Nigerian applicants again. But even beyond this, we really want to see applicants going out and putting themselves out there from Francophone countries, from Arabophone countries, from countries like Ethiopia. Where the startup ecosystem maybe isn't as advanced or developed as it might be in Nigeria or Kenya or in South Africa, but where there's a lot of work to be done because we are more than happy to kind of pull our sleeves up and help people get that ecosystem going and get those important conversations happening. So that's all on the agenda of what's going to happen in twenty twenty-three.
0: I have to say that's a lot. <laughs> and I think there's more, but I think there's great ambitions and those big goals actually, is what makes a difference, right? So thanks for, for sharing that. So we're gonna switch a, a little bit over now to just more about being on the African continent. But I think one thing that I, I just wanted to get your take on it, Cindy, as well as Mark, is can you just share a little bit about what do you guys think about the importance of diversity and inclusion in the African startups, you know, seen or more importantly, in the investor ecosystem? I think what I mean by that is, you know, Mark, you mentioned about like just expanding to other countries. But more importantly, you know, having female founders, uh, female investors, and just making sure that everybody has some equity in the entrepreneurial and investment space. Do you guys have any thoughts on that or experience on that? And why do you guys have that? And what do you guys believe, perhaps, why we should be thinking about about that moving forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe I can get us started. And then, Cindy, if you'd like to elaborate further, of course, please pick it up from there. But I think on my end... I mean, it's, it's very ample timing because this conversation is one that needs to be happening much more frequently than it is. Yeah. And, you know, just recently, for example, oh. the guys at Africa, the big deal released an interesting report, which talked about how if we actually zoom in on the gender of CEO first female led startups in Africa in 2022, CEO first female led startups in Africa raised just about 4% of total African VC funding. Whereas male-led ventures raised about 96%. Of course. Right? And this is not just something that a uniquely African phenomenon. Unfortunately, it's something that's pretty pervasive in the rest of the startup ecosystems, even beyond the continent. But as Cindy mentioned, African markets have a pretty unique opportunity to flip that on its head. Mm -hmm. Unlike markets, as you see in the US or in Europe or in Asia, actually, if you dig down into the numbers, on the continent, you see a pretty interesting thing happening, where there's actually an equal and sometimes larger number of female entrepreneurs than male entrepreneurs out there building things. In many African cultures, it's actually more common to see, for example, a female-founded small business or small enterprise than a male-led one. And there are many, many cultural reasons behind why we still see this discrepancy today, where you know somewhere close to two hundred million dollars in funding went to female-led startups in 2022. Well, you know, over 4.5 billion went to male-founded funds. But a critical contributing factor, in our opinion, is the low number of women in the VC space that are actually focused on Africa today, that are actively looking to invest in other female-led businesses, that don't have that underlying bias of investing in someone we empathize with more, and that are out there potentially supporting female founders and taking critical steps towards raising VC funding. And, you know, there's a lot of people working on this mission globally more widely, perhaps with the focus of a lens on the US. But on the continent, this still needs to be happening at these critical early stages in the VC space. Otherwise, it's just going to end up in the same situation as in America or in the UK or in Europe, where you have predominantly male-dominated VC space, funding predominantly male-led startups, and missing an amazing investment opportunity of being just equitable in keeping your eyes open and investing in great
0: opportunities out there. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I said. Cindy, do you have anything to add to that?
1: I mean, I think (laughs) this can, again, be like a conversation all in another podcast. I think Mark made several very, very important points in the sense that I think oftentimes when you hear news or discussions about this diversity inclusion problem, it's either way oversimplified, everything being made black and white, or it's a case in which it's way overcomplicated, in my opinion, because I think there are a lot of multifaceted reasons why the pipeline of female founders going into tech or specifically venture-backed startups is low. There's also a reason why there's a low pipeline of women moving to the VC space as well. But I think the way that I see it on the founder side, the first thing which Mark had already mentioned was just that perhaps the way that we've traditionally seen venture capital financing and the types of startups that have been backed are not necessarily a huge portion of the types of businesses being built by the female entrepreneurs that we're seeing on the continent. A lot of those businesses and business models are not going to grow in the same way that a hyper growth grow at all costs kind of um, business model would in perhaps other countries or other industries. And I think It's just a matter of being able to really hammer home that this is a big problem, even in the VC space. When I traveled last time with microclastic content, I made a very conscious effort to reach out to a lot of the different women I knew that were working across different hierarchy levels in the VC space. And it's really interesting because actually you see that there isn't a Sort of low number of women, actually, especially in leadership roles in some of the VC spaces. Specifically, North Africa, East Africa, you see many, many women that are in like very, you know, C-suite leadership kinds of roles. But yet, it's very different in some other aspects. So, if you go and see West Africa, for example, you see perhaps a lot of women working analyst associate roles in VC, but you see very few female GPs. So, I think it's a lot of cultural dimensions to it, which people perhaps don't always take into consideration. It's not just one solution if it's this problem, right? But I think the main point that both Mark and I are trying to make here, and which I think most people who acknowledge this as a problem also agree, is that this is a problem. There are many ways to tackle this. There are some very great initiatives and people out there that have done a lot to try and further this cause. And yeah, I think we're finally starting to get to a point in the ecosystem where With so much more data, at least available, people can't deny reality anymore, (laughs) right? It's easy to deny reality when you don't have numbers and actual facts. But now that we do have a lot of amazing individuals are actually tracking numbers down, we can at least see if we can move the needle forward and changing some of those numbers and bumping them up.
0: That's well said. Well said. That's all I have to say. So as part of that, and I think uh, we have talked about this earlier with Dream VC. So just beyond uh, what we just talked about, you know, inclusion and diversity, the element of the role of education in in African startup investing. So I'm guessing you guys have run this program last year. How has that actually amplified? As you said, there are some data points that come out of that. Does that suggest that you no know, education has to be a critical piece of how we are thinking about investing in or kind of building investors in Africa. Uh, can you just share a little bit about the experience, what that has been and how you see that as a very critical part of, of how we develop the African uh, continent uh, from the entrepreneur and also the investment space?
1: Mark, I hope you don't mind if I like <laughs> have a go at this first. I think the very first thing that we really saw in our experience running the programs was the impact of the network effect mm-hmm. of people across ecosystems actually communicating with each other for a first time and realizing, oh, wow, like the startups in your ecosystem also have this same issue. And like, oh, the startups in your ecosystem also have these nuances I never knew about. And I had just assume, for example, for some of the fellows, again, perhaps this was their first time being exposed to a completely almost different world, right? Because I think people outside of the content, especially, even sometimes people within the content, forget how many different cultural spheres there are all across the continent. It's going to be very difficult looking at Francophone versus Arabophone Africa, for example, whether it's language and culture and nuances. So I think that was the first thing, was people actually communicating with each other for the first time and then building those necessary bridges to then go back, use that knowledge, use that impact to really build something from the grassroots up within the communities. Yes, I think... The second point for us is just us being able to dispel a lot of what we call bad player behavior in the ecosystem. And what do we mean by that? We've mentioned already how this is one of the last ecosystems to discover VC. And I think one of the negative aspects of venture capital across the world is that there are a lot of sort of bad, um, I guess, (laughs) hypocrisy going on, a lot of people that perhaps don't act actually in the best interests of the startups that they're supposed to support, etc. And what we really want to try and do is shape this culture of these next investors coming out so that they are abiding by a certain level of ethical behavior, a certain level of dedication, a certain level of collaboration rather than distrust. And this is especially important because you're dealing with a lot of people that have come from cultures that have in the past couple of decades dealt with a lot of upheaval, a lot of distrust, a lot of, you know, use from, you know, other kinds of social political factors. And so I think that's something else that's really, really important to us. And one of the biggest learning lessons in all of this. Um, But I think, so just final point, I know this is a bit of a vague way of going around and answering the question. But when you're talking about the role of education in the VC space, there are a lot of differing opinions in the space on whether or not you can actually teach someone how to be a good investor.
2: Yeah.
1: So a really great quote I think I can pull up is in one of our panels last year, we had Agosa come in, who is the GP of Echo VC, uh, one of the best VCs probably on the continent, yeah. who, in his opinion, said that you need $20 million down the drain and a couple of years to really understand how to venture invest And there are a lot of people that definitely share that mindset, right? There's a lot of people that believe there's no way that you can teach someone how to invest unless they actually do it. So it's kind of the idea that you need to put money on the line for you to learn hard lessons. But I think the way that Mark and I really see this is I like to compare it to cooking, Mm -hmm. right? In all the different cuisines around the world, there's certain people that are going to know specific things related to that cuisine and how to make things in that cuisine, similar to how someone from Somalia versus someone from Morocco versus someone from Nigeria would know very, very different things about investing on the ground there. But fundamentally, what we are teaching, if you're comparing it to cooking, is the fundamentals, right? Knife work, um, how to follow recipes how to keep your station clean, almost like Ratatouille style, (laughs) like from the basics up, right? And then what you take with your own creativity and everything else is later on, we believe that this kind of knowledge should be democratized and should be something that is accessible and shouldn't have been gatekept the way it has been traditionally. And I also like that just like how you might be a different cook, Jacob, than how I might cook versus Mark might cook. We are all going to also learn from each other. You can learn recipes from each other. You can learn how to make beautiful new dishes together as well, right? So that's kind of our biggest takeaway and lesson, I think, that we've learned. Mark, I don't know if I really went off tangent there. You want.
0: No, I love the metaphor. I love the simile. Great. It's great. And I think uh, you kind of answered two questions at the same time uh, that I was curious about. So... I just have to say this. Both of you guys have done your homework. It's deep. Like, it's not just a surface level platform you guys are building. It's very, it's going under the root causes of what the VC space is. And I really commend both of you for doing that work. It's really impressive, really critical because, you know, it's not just the access to more people, but you understand the network effect and, and what it means to 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 bring in that ethical behavior, which is a very critical point. I think that ethical behavior in VC fund is a different episode as well. It's a a very impactful one. So just kind of run up here, Mark, maybe you'll get into this one. So what's the role of African-focused investors in supporting local entrepreneurs? I think Cindy mentioned something like that, or Mark, you did. Can you just Mm. operate on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe I think my take on this is perhaps just to think about What's a key takeaway for someone who is an African-focused investor? What should they really know when they're supporting local entrepreneurs? And from my perspective, there's a few things they need to understand. They need to understand that diligence really isn't easy. It's never going to be easy. Diligence is never easy anywhere, but it's especially difficult in a data sparse ecosystem. You can't just trust information, whether that's a private or public resource. You always have to go the extra mile to make sure you verify information, but through primary and secondary research methods. It's really important to be hands-on as well. So I think we say this, uh, it's not really a light thing. We you know, really hit this point home in all of our programs, but you can be an investor in Silicon Valley or in New York or in London or another well-capitalized market where you're just providing the extra check to a market where the startup is definitely going to be successful. But that's almost never the case in any of the African markets. The markets are just difficult to do business in. Which means you can't just be sitting back and thinking, hey, I put my money into this, it's safe, everything's going to go fine, and that's it, you're done. It's not stock investing in the public market. You need to be hands-on, you need to be involved, you need to use your own social capital, your own knowledge, your own ability to open key doors. And that really comes back to the non-traditional kind of support or value add that sometimes African startups might require. It's not the MBA trained business model creation that maybe would be helpful to a New York based founder, but it's really helping them solve logistical issues, helping them solve data issues, helping them solve political issues. Like, for example, making sure they're not held back for six months just because a particular regulator doesn't feel like giving them a license, right? These kind of things can't be solved being based 10,000 kilometers away. And that's something that I really want to get back to. Geographical distance is a controversial point when it comes to investing in Africa, since many investors are still international. But being international and being distant are very different concepts. Because you can be based very far away, but still have a presence on the ground. Or you can be based on the ground, but still be you know, in your head very far away and very distant. Exactly. You know, being geographically distant from an investment target, such as a US investor investing in Nigeria or a Nigerian investor investing in Egypt, for example, means you can miss out on the cultural or local factors that sometimes mean you can't be as efficient as an investor. So really, the role of African-focused investors in supporting local entrepreneurs is do your homework, be extra diligent, be helpful, be proactive, and make sure you actually understand the market you're working in by going that extra mile to be a hands-on investor and more likely than not, you'll be successful.
0: This is great. And to all listeners, I think this information is very, very insightful. And I highly encourage you to apply to the Dream VC Fellowship. Just talking to Mike and Cindy, I can tell have some idea of VC, but like I can literally learn a lot more just based on your experience uh, building building Dream VC. So for us to just close here, so what do you guys see as the potential for just the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Africa? I know everyone is saying Africa is rising and Africa is the last frontier. What's that for you guys, as you guys continue to build UC? Uh, I mean,
1: I think for us, it's definitely the idea of how the future investors will definitely not look like the investors of the past in all different ways, whether that's background, diversity, etc. What they're going to go off and do. I think for what Mark and I are really seeing as trends is a lot of these big startups that have grown to a substantial size now really coming back and pouring a lot of that capital and a lot of that support back into the ecosystem. And these are people that know firsthand how it's like, how difficult it is to build a company from ground up um, on the continent. So I think that to us is one of the most exciting things. It's just seeing a lot more of these different types of investors that don't necessarily just come from the classic asset management finance background. These are tech people. These are all different types of backgrounds of people coming in. And with DreamVC as a vehicle, I really hope that we can see a future where there's a lot of collaboration between investors as well. So I think that's definitely at the forefront of our thoughts. And obviously for me, always would love to see more girls joining this table. <laughs> um, we always say in Dream VC, right, that um if they aren't gonna let you sit at the table, we'll build our own. And hopefully in the future we can start merging these tables together and there's room enough for all of us. But I think the final thing I'll close up with is one of the quotes that Mark and I particularly love that we always tell our fellows. Which is a quote that says, the world needs dreamers and the world needs doers. But above all, the world needs dreamers that do. Um, And I think that is the perfect way to summarize how we see the ecosystem going on. We are optimistic people. And I hope that we can really go through with this difficult period in which there is a slowdown in funding and all of these other issues. And hopefully we'll see the light on the other side.
0: That's amazing. A great way to, to end the episode. Thank you so much, Mark and Cindy. Uh, this was beautiful, enlightening. I feel just uh, I want to just go change the world right now. This is very thanks for
2: having us, Jacob. <laughs> I love the conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Cindy and Mark, and to all our listeners, thanks for joining. I hope you learned a lot today. Please apply to the Dream VC if you're interested. I'm gonna put a, put more information the link below. But thanks again, Cindy and Mark. I hope we'll see you guys again on the episode. Uh, love to bring you guys again to talk about other issues. So thank you, guys.
1: Thank you for having us, Jacob. And thanks to all the listeners.
0: Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode with Cindy and Mark from VC. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a lot about entrepreneurship, investing in Africa, what the future of VC will be in Africa. And I hope that you apply to the fellowship program. Uh, you can definitely go on the website dream-vc.com and you can apply to either of the programs which are uh, mentioned in this episode. Thank you so much again for joining us and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for stopping by on the Us Within Us podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find us on Instagram as well as on Twitter at Do what's Within, D-O-E-R-S, Within, Do Within, and we hope to continue the conversation there. In the meantime, please feel free to subscribe to the episode on Spotify and in other platforms that you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you next Wednesday at night AM Eastern time.